Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the internet's finest Warehouse 13 watch podcast, unless you're part of one of those other podcasts, in which case, sure buddy, you can have it. With me as always is my co-host Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? I'm doing pretty good. How are you today? doing today, Grace? Oh, can't complain, thanks for asking. Let me tell you, I have some mixed feelings about Season 1, Episode 6, Burnout. Yeah, this one uh, really leans into a lot of the uh, cop drama elements that it kind of uh, skirts around most of the time. Mm-hmm. Though I, it is refreshing, at least, that uh, Mr. Asshole St. Louis Cop is nothing but hostile to Pete and Micah. Like, he hates that they're there. He hates having to help him. Like, he's just an asshole for no reason. I mean, he's a cop. Of course he's an asshole, but, you know, constantly belligerent. Right. I mean, uh, that that's kind of the thing they do every time they feature other cops on the show, is it's a, uh, a bit of a jurisdictional p- pissing match going on with uh, who has what say. Everyone always feels like the Secret Service is stepping on their toes jumping in on these cases mm-hmm. every uh every like fictional cop they love their crimes they want to make sure they have all the crime and no one else gets any right mom all says it's my turn to have the crime <laughs> so uh i noted here that we open on a comment on micah's looks huh like notice that yeah, Pete said something about uh about Micah's looks at like the very beginning. Hmm. Not a not a real positive way to start off the episode, but uh, Pete, you already call her a nerd twenty four seven. You gotta start it on this too. She looks fine. Right. She would look better if she wasn't a cop, but you know, what are you gonna do? Oh yeah, she was complaining about having too much uh I think they were, like, working too much, and she felt like she was run ragged or something. Mm. And oh, Pete's yeah, like, yeah, you him... look awful. Oh, yeah, because she was saying, you know, I want to take some time off. Yeah. And then she, you know, Pete says that, and then she says, you know, she, like, gets mad at him. He's like, hey, I'm on your side. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we find out that we're visiting beautiful uh, St. Louis. Ah, uh, St. Louis, the greatest city in the world. They got Gateway arches. Gateway to the west. <laughs> they got the big arch. They got probably a second thing. I've only driven through St. Louis, so I can't say too much about the uh, the city itself. Other than that, they do that uh, that thing where they uh, bread slice bagels. What the hell's that about? What do, you, what do you mean, bread slice bagels? Like, they slice it into a bunch of little bagel chips. Like, they just keep slicing. Uh, like, the opposite of the way a bagel normally is sliced. So, like, you have one regulation bagel, and it's sliced into, like, what, like, six? Yeah, and they're, slices? like... Slices? Yeah, and they're, like, long sections, and then, like... The part through the hole is like two separate small pieces. It's a very strange way to serve a bagel. Do you eat it like, you know, you still like put cream cheese on it and stuff? I've never heard of this. You you never saw the uh, the drama about bread sliced bagels? 
<laughs> no, people I, have I, really worked up about this like two years ago. No, I, I remember fridge <laughs> chips. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember bread sliced bagels. <laughs> yeah, uh, someone... This was like right around the uh, August Twitter migration because uh, people were still up on what was going on on Twitter a lot more because some writer for someone is like posting on Twitter about a life hack, ask for your bagels bread sliced, and everyone was like, <laughs> why would you even want this? <laughs> like, Yeah, I, I cannot imagine... Part of this is, like, I have anxiety, so I feel weird asking, like, any any clerk for, like, a special order thing. Right. And part of it is, like, why, yeah, why would I want that? What what benefit does this give <laughs> right. you? You've made the bagel harder to eat. So, uh, they're walking into the police station, which apparently is also, uh, the scene of the accident. Uh, we find that there was an underground explosion, but Pete is a whole lot more impressed with that big-ass generator they have. <laughs> oh, the man knows a generator when he sees one. Yeah, he's, uh, he sees the generator and, uh, can't help but comment on it. Although I think he comments on it, uh, with his back to the camera. So, like... You can hear that they recorded it in post because the space doesn't sound right. <laughs> ah. But it was clearly supposed to happen because the uh, the guy in the hard hat just sort of nods and says, mm-hmm. It sure is a generator. <laughs> yep. I've seen a lot of generators in my day and this sure is one of them. <laughs> what do you want me to say about that, bud? Do you want me to say like, oh, yeah, this is the... The Zappomatic 6900. Yeah. Also, not nearly the biggest generator I've ever seen. I remember uh, the place I work once lost power, and we needed three uh, semi track or semi trailer sized diesel electric generators. Holy shit! Yeah, that was really something. That makes sense, given where you work. So what you're saying is you have a lot more generator experience than Pete does, and you would not remark on a generator the size of the one we see in the episode. Right, yeah, it's a, it's, it's it's a, a it's pretty for... sizable generator, but it's not, it's not the biggest generator I've seen. It's not even close. <laughs> uh, you know, nice toy, nerds. Right. You know, call me when you're ready to play with power. You can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Cute generator, bro. <laughs> Speaking of, like, Y'all, you saw Pete, like, look at a dead body and say, quote, Kentucky Fried Extra Crispy, right? Yep. What the yeah. fuck, Pete? You're looking at a corpse. This man just died. Right, but, you know, you gotta laugh about it. I mean, so that's the thing that you really notice is, uh, who were the victims in this explosion? Well, see, it's it's not just that, right? Like, I could see him see seeing the corpse and, like, saying that kind of under his breath to Micah as they keep walking. But no, he says it to this, like, you know, this guy's face. Like, the uh, coroner or the mortuary guy or another cop is like, right. he says it to the guy with the body. See, luckily, conveniently, 
everybody who died was a bad guy. <laughs> like, like that's uh that's something that very specifically happened uh in how they described the victims. Like they were all still being booked and processed. They were all arrestees. The mm -hmm. two cops that were down there, uh, one was in a coma and the other one was like otherwise hospitalized, but they both made it through. Yeah, the other one was, I believe, in surgery or something like that. Yeah, so fine. the show has some very strong opinions on who's allowed to die in the show. <laughs> like, Yeah, especially given that like we later learned that all the people... All of these folks were black? Oh, is that... Oh. Yeah, because they were all gang members. Although, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, yeah. Yeah, this particular episode has a lot going on. This so is yeah, our... all of the suspects died. Uh, the cops didn't die, but got pretty messed up. Mm -hmm. This is our highest body count episode by... By far. Yeah, I mean... They've managed to avoid a whole lot of deaths. I mean, we had the brutal throwing the dude out of the uh, multi-story building in the last one. Uh, yeah, we haven't had very much death in this series so far. Yeah, even the well, lady who... Even the, the flying nun, as Pete called her, was fine. Right. Yeah, she keeps... She kept making it through uh, some really unfortunate accidents. And I think the kid who was in the coma throughout the whole episode just recovered as soon as they bagged it. Yeah, they kind of forgot about Violin Kid. Right. Yeah, I mean, maybe he never did recover. Who knows? But they certainly didn't want to point that out to the audience. Yeah. But what if that kid didn't? What if the weirdness didn't have anything to do with that kid? Maybe he just really hated the violin. I mean, he really did hate the violin. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he just, uh, maybe he just coincidentally like finally reached his breaking point and then just went comatose because. Yeah, I mean, like I get it. I, but you know, I played the piano for years, and you can't really do that with a piano. Right, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe if you've got uh, one of them little plastic keyboards, but they're not, not quite know. as satisfying to whack against a wall. I, I think you're selling your uh, supervillain short skills a little short, thinking you well, can't readily destroy a piano like that. Well, of course, if I turn on the exoskeleton, that's a whole process. <laughs> right, uh, but then you can drop it on people. Yeah, you get that nice satisfying... And then yeah. <laughs> someone sticks their head up through it with their teeth replaced with the piano keys. Right. So, uh, we make our way down to the basement where apparently the source of the explosion was. And... It was a really weird conversation with the city engineer. He's like, Yeah. Yeah, it's safe to go down. Take this lantern. That guy looked genuinely terrified to be on camera. <laughs> like... <laughs> It was very good. Yeah, it's good acting. Like, you know. <laughs> right. He's a city engineer, like, surrounded by cops. Like, an explosion just happened. Yeah, and he's just being made to stand in front of the doorway and tell people whether or not it's safe to go down there. And he's, he's like, a... eh, seems fine. 
You don't have to stand there if it seems fine. Yeah. You can just leave. <laughs> this guy knows he's got a way more dangerous job than any of the cops in this episode. Right. And yet gets paid much less. So, uh, they found one additional, uh, what they assume is a victim, but it turns out his body is, uh, quite a good deal older. Yeah. One additional victim down in a hidden room in the basement, which, uh, what's the deal with this police station? <laughs> I, I've got some real serious questions for why they have catacombs. Like, yeah, like why what, was this I, guy able to cask of Amontillado himself in the basement <laughs> of the police station? Yeah, especially given like what we know later about how this guy came to be here. Yeah, I actually don't know why I'm fucking dancing around the bush. Like everyone listening right, to the to episode, like yeah, like we know, like he had this this spiny boy stuck to him, right? And so, and somehow, like this was the best place for him to go. Was this like? secret tunnel underneath the police station which yeah, i guess was... maybe was not there when they because later someone says something about like they you know th maybe even earlier someone says something about like they they covered these tunnels up when they built the police station but yeah. what were the tunnels beforehand right i mean st louis is a pretty old city but i don't know anything about tunnels under st louis yeah, like, bizarre. Maybe it was, like, where they, maybe that was where they're, they're supposed to work on the gas lines. Who knows? Hard to say. Yeah, I mean, could have been old utility tunnels. Could have even been old coal tunnels. I mean, St. Louis has been a city long enough for it to uh, have had coal tunnels. Mm, good point. Uh, but we, we find out. They uh, send some photos off to Artie and Claudia, who is now obviously uh, helping the team out because she's got to. Yeah, we find she's out got this nothing guy, better uh, to do. We find that this guy has a Secret Service wear badge and a, a Tesla, so they know he's from, he's from the warehouse. Right. So Artie starts digging through the uh, dusty paper uh, copies of the uh, personnel files. Mm-hmm weird that they have a, a like universal digital library of like every item that could ever be be considered an artifact yeah, but like they don't bother to from... make their personnel files digital yeah like live feeds from every camera in the country right maybe even beyond yeah I will but they have to go dig through a musty uh, cupboard to find some files for old employees. Yeah. I, I would like to point out that, like, the little exchange that Claudian already have here about his fashion sense is, it's a lot more endearing than when Pete and Mike could do it, which I know I keep harping on, but it's, I don't know, it's like the show knows how to do these, these characterizations and these friendly jabs. They right. just can't do it right with with their main characters for some reason. Yeah, there's just something off about that particular interaction, maybe. Mm -hmm. And, like, Artie and Claudia managed to have pretty good on-screen chemistry. Yeah. But Artie, uh, also, Artie also describes the room as, quote, files for the last 200 years, give or take. So the warehouse is old. Yeah, the warehouse is pretty old. Uh, 
I know they talked about Warehouse 10 was like built defective or something. It didn't last very long. At some point, they talk about Warehouse 10 just like not making it. Yeah, they built a real shitty warehouse, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so they had to build a uh, much better one, and luckily they had... Well, didn't they have uh, Edison literally working on the warehouse? Something like that. Like, reading, like, I think the, the Wikipedia synopsis for this show, it's like, Warehouse 1 was in, like, ancient Egypt or some shit. Warehouse 2 was definitely in ancient Egypt. There you go. I don't know anything about Warehouse 1, but we see Warehouse 2 later in the series. Ah, there you go. And so... But, you know, these files only seem to date back to the the founding of the United States or so. Right. Yeah, which... Pretty understandable, considering South Dakota. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's not like they'd have some, like, ancient Egyptian personnel records there. Yeah. So, Claudia has uh, modified some uh, junk around the warehouse into a 3D hologram projector, which Artie's, is pretty cool. Yeah, Artie has decided he hates these newfangled things. He can't stand pixels. <laughs> right. This is, a, this is a character turn that they only get to do because they added Claudia. Yeah, he never they, hated computers before. He was yeah, capable like he, of doing, like, reverse hacking and shit. Yeah, he was, like, really good with computers, and then the, the techno genius shows up, and suddenly he's got to be, you know, an old fart about it. Right, and he's just hostile to all pieces of technology now, <laughs> yeah, like, which Artie, is why just do you completely even... a, a reverse face. Yeah. Like, why do you even, like... Like, why does your why can your computer receive pictures if all you're gonna do is like be a crotchety old man about it? Right. Yeah, but Claudia developed a very cool system that took something like eight pictures, converted them into a 3D mesh, uh, and rendered that mesh so that they could do facial reconstruction and stuff with it. Yeah. We uh. I, I will say that Claudia says something about, oh yeah, there were some old Haswells and I put them on a pre-XT backbone, which, surprisingly for a show like this, like kind of makes sense. Yeah. I'm impressed. That's a reasonable yeah, there, thing for her to say. There's at least something there. Yeah, like those words mean things. I can see why you right. would say them. It is a Unix system. <laughs> she knows this. <laughs> <sighs> so, uh... Yeah, Artie complains that pixels will never replace the real thing, uh, as Claudia is trying to show off her new, uh, her new projector, and Claudia has to uh, demonstrate percussive maintenance to uh, get it to work. Mm-hmm. And even calls it that this time. Right. Oh, but the most important thing is not not the projector, but how she controls it. Yeah. Yeah, did you see the uh, just bitchin' double trackball uh, controller that she was using to manipulate the uh, projection? Fuck yeah. Artie's got his giant, one giant trackpad, but two trackballs? Deluxe. Yeah, each of them like the size of a bocce ball. (laughs) 
I I scavenged these from some old golden tea machines. Yeah, or uh, Marie Antoinette's croquet balls, maybe. No, those aren't in the warehouse right now. Oh, is that foreshadowing? That might be foreshadowing. (laughs) Welcome to Foreshadowing 2. Five shadowing. (laughs) We cut to some guys hanging out around a burn barrel playing dominoes. Which, like, requires a lot more setup. I think when you play dominoes, you generally, like, have a table and stuff. Yeah, like, you know, I I can't imagine, because, like, these folks are drinking. Right. Uh, maybe this is a, this is me showing my ass about, you know, where I come from and whatnot, but I can't imagine getting drunk and playing dominoes on the floor with my friends around a, a burning barrel. Maybe it's right. a com- maybe it's it, it sounds like fun, but it's it's not something I would ever think to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, it depends. In the city, you are a lot more pressed for usable spaces, especially in the middle of the night where cops will hassle you if you're in parks and stuff. Makes sense. So I can sort of get it if it's just the space you have. People are really flexible if you. Mm-hmm. If you only give them, you know, very limited resources, they'll find a way to make the best. Yeah, it sounded like it, looked, it was a pretty big alleyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it definitely feels like St. Louis. The buildings don't seem huge. The alleyways aren't too claustrophobic. I I never did look if this was uh, filmed on location. Yeah, it's a, uh. You see a lot of this in, like, New York City where it's some vacant lot or something in the crime dramas, not really in real life. I don't know what it's like in New York City in real life. Yeah, me neither. I've only seen Seinfeld. I have not seen Seinfeld. I've seen, like, one episode of Seinfeld. My my Seinfeld take is that there's, like, maybe half a dozen, like, even less than that, like, good, watchable, like, good Seinfeld episodes, and most of the others are just kind of riffs on that. Okay, yeah, I can sort of see that. And it does seem like what Jerry Seinfeld is capable of making. Yeah, like, there are genuinely some, like, good Seinfeld bits, but I would never, like, suggest to anyone that they watch all of it. I know, I've seen all of it, and, you know, you've heard my opinion on it. The guys hanging out around this burn barrel are just, like, the friendliest gang members I've ever seen. Like, nice these guys. all genuinely seem like really nice guys. Yeah. Like, yeah, the only, like, the only, like, jerks in here are the cops. Right. They're having a good time with their friends, and their buddy, who apparently saw what happened at the police station, uh, ran off, and told him hey hey we got to get out of here he's coming for us and then the guy who's coming for them comes for them and they all end up uh toasty like the people in the basement at the uh at the police station by the way i looked it up and uh among i'm i'm on the goofs page on the imdb page for this episode 
Okay. And uh, basically, in the blah, 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 in the inter- exterior shot of the, quote, St. Louis police station, when Mike is going into the building, we pan across a view of the skyline in the background in which the CN Tower in Toronto is clearly visible in the left background. Okay, so, back to it being cheap to film television in Canada. Yep. Also, un- under the character errors section, quote, Claudia said that electricity didn't exist when the artifact was built in the 11th century, which is erroneous because it existed. It merely wasn't utilized the way it is today. <laughs> Thank she you, was telling a joke, person. IMDB. Come on. <laughs> right. The fundamental laws of physics didn't change when we invented electricity. <laughs> she, she was doing a joke. So, yeah, all of the gang members uh, get toasted. And they've uh, now managed to identify the uh, warehouse employee by a tattoo on his arm that was the uh, Marines globe and eagle thingy. Mm-hmm. So our warehouse employee was also a troop. Yep. I, uh, my note here says, uh, crispy Secret Service troop guy. Hello. <laughs> because Claudia does seem to think he's cute, which, you know, yes, he doesn't look bad. Yeah, I mean, and it's based on a facial reconstruction, or maybe by that time they had pulled up the picture. But that's our old buddy Jack Secord. You'll see more of him. I mean,. Not really, since he's very dead. But you'll see some more of him. We'll see more of his corpse. Right. When they make Claudia roll it over. Yeah. Hardy and Claudia roll him over together. Right. Uh, Claudia has apparently created a 3D scanner for Artie. And that's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to scan the uh, the actual body into the computer. I, I'm not sure what exactly this was supposed to achieve. Because, like, they had already made the ID. Well, well, I don't think they did, actually, because in the first part where they're reconstructing him from the photos. Yeah. I'm not sure they they get that much information because I think they only reconstruct his face and stuff after like because like there's a whole thing where like Artie scanning the body, Claudia's like describing the tattoo. They realize he's a troop, and then Artie goes and gets like all the troop files out of the cabinet, right? And then they reconstruct because he had his already face. pulled the box of everyone who went missing in action. <laughs> Which has got to be a big box for the warehouse. Right, yeah, it's probably more than uh, the rest of the employee personnel files. Yeah. Like, you know, as we learned in this episode, at least one person, like, apparently retired or at least just stopped showing up for work. Right. Changed her name <laughs> and started a new life. So I don't think she retired. <laughs> well, she doesn't work for the warehouse anymore. Right. So they uh they go and pull up his uh room 
because apparently whenever uh, people die under mysterious circumstances at the warehouse, they whisk their room from the BNB into a vault in the warehouse. Sure, why not? It seems reasonable. Right, and uh, Claudia walks in and notices that he smoked a lot because it was the 60s and everyone smoked a lot. But she's also wearing a ring on her thumb over her purple gloves. Aesthetic. <laughs> right, like, it seems a little inconvenient to me, but who am I to judge, really? And sometimes you gotta make sacrifices for the look. Or do you she think finds... I own a hoop skirt? <laughs> True. She finds a, uh, a note written, uh, that she assumes was written by Jack, but instead it was written to Jack, which Artie informs her because he uh, has a keen eye for uh, feminine handwriting. No one's ever been uh, no one's ever been incorrect in identifying the gender of someone by the way they make their letters. Oh, I'm sure handwriting analysis is nothing but a respected, forensically solid science. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he uh he shows off the old uh etching with a pencil to bring up the indent in uh in paper to Claudia, mm -hmm. who never could have worked it out because she's way too uh she's way too young and computer savvy to know things about pen and paper. Yeah, that's the thing, right? It's like I mean, yeah, Artie is like this, you know, he suddenly went, you know, I gotta have a goddamn degree from NASA to work iTunes. <laughs> right. <laughs> which which means Claudia has to, so they, they can play off each other, Claudia has to be like, what what's this sliced tree? What, what are these paper sandwiches? Books? Right. Sort of. A taxi driver, couldn't he have taken an Uber? <laughs> Facebook. Uh, it's a weird, it's a weird situation. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of weird to see Claudia, who's pretty much universally presented as very capable, mm -hmm. just sort of, like, not be capable of, like, really simple stuff that, you know, I promise you that 3D scanner she made could have done the same thing with the indents. But yeah. she's probably also capable of working out that you can just sort of scribble over writing and make it come up. Yeah, it's... Yeah, like, she's presented as, like, this, you know, super genius. She's smarter than Artie. She's good at everything. But she, like... Right. Oh, what are you doing with this paper? <laughs> yeah. How do you then... get email on this? She made a big deal about it being an old-school booty call. Yeah. Claudia, you've never heard of, like, writing a letter to someone you like? Right. So they identify who Jack was writing to, and it's Rebecca St. Clair, who Good conveniently name. is living in St. Louis these days. St. Clair? St. Louis? Hmm. Hmm. Curious. So, uh... 
Pete and Micah go to question her, and she offers them cookies, which is very good for Pete since he uh, had skipped uh, meals so far that day. Yeah, they. Uh, he is one hungry boy. And Rebecca asks uh, if people are being electrocuted again. And they don't realize that uh, this clearly means she knows more than she ought to, but she does. Those do look uh, like good cookies. I can see why Pete took like almost all of them. Well, I mean, if Micah hadn't stopped him, he would have taken all yeah. of them. Like, those look like good cookies. They look like those nice soft ones. Yeah, the, those definitely looked like a nice uh, a nice plate of cookies. Yeah. You know, if I were one hungry boy, if I were in Pete's shoes, it'd be hard to say no. Right, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially Pete with his, uh, his strictly pro-cookie stance. <laughs> like, it, it's a political statement. If you choose not to eat cookies, you are coming out as anti-cookie. Mm-hmm. And he has and to. Pete does get... not want to be perceived as anti-cookie under any hey. circumstance. Oh, of course, because he's got to he's got to play off Micah, who is, as we have seen before, anti-cookie. Right. She doesn't eat, eat sweets. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> so. They get a call and go meet up with the police who have this witness, like, by the collar and shit. And the witness is saying that a cop uh, killed the other uh, members of the gang that that guy was trying to warn. And the police just kind of go, oh yeah, that's what they all say, a cop did it. (laughs) They all say that, like, they're very, again... Every, like, St. Louis cop in this episode is an asshole all the time. Right. Which is probably pretty accurate to life. So they're talking with the sergeant again, and he's accounted for everyone in his department, except for the head of the gang unit, who he had previously mentioned was out on uh, an administrative leave of some sort. Uh, apparently he did a police brutality. Yeah, on someone he was interrogating. Yeah, so, uh, sounds like suspect number one to me. Yep. And so they go visit his apartment, and he jumps out the window and runs away, and then just sort of dies. He has this creepy, uh, metallic scorpion thing on his back. Yeah, arcing electricity all over the place. Yep. Pete and Micah can't find the scorpion after he dies, and they realize that uh, they weren't aware of the electricity elements, but uh, Rebecca St. Clair sure was. Mm. So they they figure out that they need to uh, talk to her a little more. Yeah. Now they gotta go, like, weasel some information out of her. Right. Uh, I also have it noted that Artie uh, said, you go, girl, to Claudia, and Claudia just said, don't. Yeah, what year is it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Also, in that scene, like, you can see, like, they have a white uh, blackboard full of, like, all the stuff they're looking at, and one of the things that's crossed out is Egg of Columbus. 
<laughs> Can I offer you an egg in these trying times? <laughs> Here you go, kids. Don't spend it all in one place. It's Columbus's egg, you know. Made a lot of smallpox with this. They go and talk to Rebecca again, who uh, lets them know that she was a warehouse agent with Jack. And she starts describing Jack, and she's just describing Pete. And it becomes clear that she's just like Micah, and Jack was just like Pete. Yeah, yeah, he gets these vibes. Right. They discover the artifact they're looking for is something called the Spine of the Saracen. Which, uh, they said that Turks, uh, in some sort of warrior cult, used it to, uh, make themselves basically unstoppable. It boosts adrenaline and testosterone and makes you, uh, terrifying, essentially. Yeah, it makes you, like, the hand of God. Like, it apparently makes you, like, burn people to a crisp and leave weird handprints on their backs. Right. And, uh, I did a little bit of, uh, digging into the word Saracen, because I was kind of trying to understand the name. Mm -hmm. Apparently, at the time they're talking about, that was literally just the word you used to describe someone who was a Muslim. Huh. Like, yeah, apparently the terminology has shifted repeatedly throughout history. So, like, yeah, there there were certainly uh, Turks that were Muslims. I... I don't know. This is a kind of a weird uh, direction to go with. It's it's nice that they didn't really. Uh, I think they were trying to kind of divorce it from specific people to keep it from you know having more significance than they wanted, or maybe it's yeah. just lazy and they don't know anything about you know. Yeah, they picked a, a word from that era. Yeah, like they they picked a word that sounded right and as a bonus, was alliterative with spine. Right. And they find out who inherited the spine, which was uh, one of the neighbor's ex-boyfriends, ex-husband. Yeah, uh, ex-husband. Who tried to attack her, and she shot him, like, square in the chest. Yep. And he was not stopping. Ah. Uh. He has developed an immunity to bullets. He must have been taking those bullet vaccines. Right. They uh, tesla him and it didn't do anything. Uh, but eventually he just sort of drops because apparently he ran out of juice or whatever. Yeah, yeah. we what? learned something about the spine, which is that like, oh, the only way to get it off is you have to die. The spine requires a lifetime commitment, is the, uh, is the thing. Right, and considering it's not real hesitant to make you make that lifetime commitment, I'm not really sure how they used this as, like, a warrior nation, because it seems like it would just wreck your units. It also just seems like there's there's one of them. So, like, what right. do you I do? I mean, there you would have... have to be, because if not, everyone would just drop dead. What? And so, like, what do you do with, like, you have your one unstoppable super soldier, right? 
You have him, you know, what, like, run at the other guys, touch as many of them as he can before he dies. Right. And then they have your, they have the spine. It's going to attach right. to so one they, of them. They bring it back to you and attack you. And, like, maybe you're better at fighting against it because you know what it is or something. I don't yeah. know. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because, like, in the era when horses were the hottest shit in war, like, a lot of war was walking around. Yeah. Like, you can't just wear, have this spine jumping from person to person killing them. You won't get anywhere before you all die. Well, like, so apparently our our bad cop, Oxymor- uh, redundant, yeah. I know, but, like, uh, apparently he managed to, like, wear the spine for long enough to, si- to zap a bunch of people on a bunch of separate occasions. Yeah, I mean... So it's, it's not unreasonable that, like, if you were part of some cult whose, like, sole purpose was to, like, make you a, a good guy to do spine, that, like, yeah, maybe you could probably wear it for a while. But... Yeah, maybe. It's also, again, like, what what's your best case scenario? Like, yeah, sure, like, having a an unkillable guy who can kill things with a touch is great when you're having a war, but when he finally kicks it, they have your spine. Right, and more interestingly, when the spine does uh, remove itself from uh, this random uh, dude, it apparently has stealth camouflage. Like, it can just become entirely invisible. Like a Dragon Ball. So, well, the Dragon Pete Ball's and Micah are, like, back-to-back back trying to uh, protect each other from this spine, mm-hmm. even though they don't have any idea how to stop the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't get rid of the spine if you're Mr. Spiny, you know? Right, and so Pete gets spined. It's not a good time. He's uh, He's kind of freaking out. He doesn't want to hurt people, but he uh, feels all this rage building inside of him. I can't believe Pete fucking dies in this one. Right. It's crazy. Claudia says that the effects feel like ancient PCP, and uh, on a scale from 1 to 10, you're at about a 25. God, it's... (sighs) Claudia is just two for two with the metaphors today, isn't she? Right. 25 out of 10 stars for Claudia. <laughs> A quintuple plus. <laughs> so, Claudia suggests that maybe we can just shock it to death because yep. uh, electricity is effective against electric metal scorpion things. Well, I don't know. That's not the uh, that's not the element I would pick. Well, I think I'm her honest. I think her idea was that her line of reasoning was, in the 11th century, you couldn't just, like, get electricity like we had these days. And so, if you could so, remove the thing with electricity, they wouldn't have known Or maybe that. you'll just make it stronger. <laughs> yeah, which is what happened with... Yeah, which, like, we found out it did not work with the Tesla, but they needed more electricity. And there was, like, the diagram in the book of the, the spine getting hit with a bolt of lightning. Yeah, I guess there was, but, like... Was that how they dealt with it? I mean, maybe if God was really on their side, they could just uh, call upon a bolt of lightning whenever they needed one. Yeah, and like that 
that picture, at least to me, does not imply that does not imply that the bolt of lightning detaches the thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's good for the uh, the foreshadow that they're going to do that, but I don't know that it really, uh, I don't know that it makes that much sense within that context. So they, Micah, one of her problems is she simply doesn't know where Pete is, and another problem is she uh, doesn't know if she can actually stop the uh, spine of the Saracen. Mm-hmm. But she gets in touch with Miss St. Clair. Was that her name? Old, yeah. Old warehouse lady? Yep, and uh, Rebecca St. Clair is more than happy to help her uh, try and stop it, because she doesn't want to see her lose her partner the same way she let, lost hers. I, I remember when... Uh... When Pete and Micah were leaving her apartment last time, she says, like, be careful out there. He was he was a great agent, the best. Which, like, yeah, like, of course you'd say, no one ever says, like, oh, be careful out there. The last guy on, <laughs> on the case was a real shitty agent. He was just the worst. Right. This dude fucking Just sucked. a real dumbass. Like, he probably, like, fouled it up a whole bunch and makes your job harder. So sorry about that. Right. He probably really goobered it up. So... Yeah, they're uh, they're talking it through and like trying to work out where Pete would have gone, and they come to the conclusion that he remembered the big ass generator, and is Pete going back like to the police station for that. Pete did like that big generator. I mean, he did, but <laughs> I mean, if he was trying to deal with the problem i would think the only thing you'd come up with is lock myself in the basement like jack did yeah because which like it makes sense for him to get there yeah which is convenient for the plot but instead they made him get directly to in front of the generator because that was yeah holding the alligator clamps right and i promise you a generator does not just like have Have... jump lead clamps yeah yeah like, what are you going to do with this? Yeah, that's not what it's for. Like, you're supposed to plug shit <laughs> into that. Cause, like, right, like, even a generator that's being wired into a building, there's, like, standard connectors for that sort of shit. Yeah. So, like, was Pete there when they were talking, when, like, Micah and Claudia and them were talking about electricity? Or did oh, Pete no, make this no, he had no idea. He... He just had a brain blast. All right, he he got a vibe, and the vibe yeah. was, "Get it off me, get it off me, get it yeah, off me." But also, I remember that generator. And then Micah thought Pete loved generators; he'd want to be around one when he died. Right. right. This is like the, the time. It's like the time he worked out Redicus was a puzzle nerd, except. Uh, Micah worked out that Pete loves generators because Pete said that he loves generators. <laughs> oh, Pete would have loved this generator. <laughs> what an analytical way to work this out. <laughs> Remember when Pete said he liked that thing? Well, good news. Uh, well, by that logic, he would be at Cookies. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's in front of the generator uh basically sobbing about the fact that he can't reach his own back 
and uh, he's worried if he misses the uh, the spine, he'll just end up killing himself, and the spine will get someone else. Mm-hmm. Which I mean is a legitimate thing to worry about. Yeah, considering that's... there are jump leads mounted to this uh, AC generator. Yeah, like, given that, like that's exactly what happened to you. Right, and it's specifically ready to do it. Mm-hmm. Like they handle these jump leads all nonchalant. Like, although I am proud of. Uh, so Micah found herself unable to help Pete because she was too worried about killing him. So our friend Rebecca, Rebecca Saint uh, Stone Cold Killer, uh, <laughs> decided to just. Uh, walk up, hook up the clamps, and flip the switch to kill Pete. Gave him the clamps. And so Pete dies, uh, Micah runs over to him, and completely ignores the spine. Like, if Rebecca wasn't there... Micah starts doing CPR on Pete. Yeah, if Rebecca wasn't there, nothing good would have happened here. Yeah, Micah would have just gotten spined. Right, Micah stood there too afraid to kill Pete, and then she literally would have let the spine scramble away. But Rebecca or onto picks her up. Back. Yeah. Rebecca picks up a fire extinguisher and just like smashes it repeatedly until uh it's still, and then they put it in a box. Oh no, she smashes that thing to pieces. Okay. She smashes that fucking spine to bits, which like honestly, I mood. Right. <laughs> if that thing killed my wife, I'd want to, you know, smash it up with a fire extinguisher. So they uh, they go back to the warehouse, and Rebecca personally delivers this to the warehouse, the first time she's been there in uh, 50 years, thereabouts. And, uh... uh Artie takes her to see Jack's room. Right. Yeah, and... Artie shows her a ring that Jack apparently got her, because apparently he picked her over the warehouse. He was just a week from retirement. Ah, uh, and then <laughs> the fucking spine got him. So, Pete and uh, Claudia is joining in on the fun. Just can't stop making jokes about dying. Yeah, what the heck? I don't know, I'm into that. Like... If you died on the job and were only just barely resuscitated by Micah punching you in the chest, I'd definitely make as many jokes as possible about it. Oh, absolutely. It. Like, if I had my brush with death 100%. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uncomfortable for everyone else, though. Yeah, like, you know, Pete, Mr. At least I guess it's consistent with Mr. Kentucky Fried Extra Crispy Pete. Right. And uh, Rebecca tells uh, tells Micah, like, get out, this place will, like the spine, use you up. Yeah, yeah, Rebecca uh, knows what it's like to work a job in America these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All they want is everything you've got and a little bit more. Mm-hmm. She also commented on how the warehouse still looks old as ever. And uh, Claudia chimes in with how she's trying to uh, change that and then introduces herself as uh, Warehouse 13 Next Generation. 
and does the Vulcan salute. See, like, no one ever calls Claudia a nerd, even though she's much more nerd-coded than Micah is. Right. Yeah, she's, uh, she's nerd through and through. But... But not the kind of nerd that sci-fi likes to make fun of. Like, it's easy to make fun of the bookish nerd, but the sci-fi nerd is not who sci-fi wants to make fun yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. if you're the sci-fi channel, you can't exactly, like, make fun of someone for liking Star Trek. Right, and, like, I'm pretty sure Pete loves Star Trek, too. Oh, yeah, like, like he made that red, he, he knew what a red shirt was and was, like, really excited when Micah also knew it. Right, yeah, so, like, it's... It's okay to like Star Trek, but it's not okay to like books. Everyone just loves sci-fi in this world. Yeah. <laughs> we all love sci-fi. We are all love sci-fi. <sighs> so yeah, that's uh that's the end of the episode. We got the ominous end where uh Micah's being told she should quit before it kills her. Well, I believe uh I thought Rebecca's caution was more like get out while you still have a life left to live which could mean this place is going to kill you but it could also just mean like you'll be like me you'll be old as fuck and like not have anything else to do afterwards yeah you don't exactly get a get a reference and uh slip into a whole nother career after the warehouse yeah like something tells maybe people retire but it seems unlikely Right. Yeah, and we'll see we'll see a lot more evidence of that. Not very many people make it out of this warehouse in good shape. Mm -hmm. Which I mean interesting take on it. It's uh it's certainly a way for, you know, agencies like the Secret Service to be. I mean, that's specifically the one that I mean, Rebecca mentions it in the episode that uh Pete's going to take a bullet, like, yep. because when you're Secret Service, that's your job. Take a bullet for the president or whatever. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, plus, like, it's not like they can just, like, let you walk out the front door with a head full of government secrets. Right. Yeah. And, like, what I, are you going to uh... do, get another job? Like, your resume says, like, secret-ass warehouse, you know. Right, you worked in an IRS warehouse, (laughs) but you know nothing about tax code. Look, they told me uh, to get the papers, bring them back here, that's all I know. Right. Yeah, so they, uh, that's another thing. I thought I caught a, uh, another goof when, uh, the police chief asked if they needed a blue and white escort. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're not in New York, but St. Louis also has blue and white police cars. Huh, well there you go. Yeah, they actually look a lot like the NYPD police cars. Which, I guess isn't that surprising. Your your design cues are pretty lazy on police cars. Yeah, like... It, They're all white letters on black now, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, like... You have your, there's only so many ways you can paint a, a Ford Crown Victoria to look like a police car. Right. And there's only one that looks good. And that's the Michigan State Highway Patrol. <laughs> well, now I gotta look this up. 
they have the coolest police cars because they insist on keeping the little cherry on top. Instead of having a full light bar, they uh, just have a little red light. Yeah, and there's like this weird plexiglass <laughs> stop thing on the front. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. I love those cars. Uh, one of my favorite things about uh about that is they clearly accepted that people will want the iconic uh state police car for Michigan for like movies and stuff. So in uh. Grand Rapids, they have their like big training facility, and it's right off of the interstate. So I've uh, driven past it a couple of times. They have like a pristine condition version of every car they've ever used. They have oh. like seven different cars sitting out front, and they go back to like the sixties. <laughs> Hell yeah! They just have them set aside for like filming movies and shit. That makes sense. Hey kid, you filming a? A movie in past Michigan? Right. Yeah, they just are uh, are totally ready for it with precisely one car that's a... Uh... They have some weird ones. Like, they have a 90s Fox Body Mustang. <laughs> I'm shocked that a Mustang was ever a police car, because it's kind of tiny. Uh, you gotta, sometimes you gotta go fast to catch the crime and beat it up. Right. And if you want to know about how fast you can go in one of those cars, the uh, Michigan State Police is also one of only two police stations that does independent vehicle testing. Huh. And they're the only one who publishes the results. Neat. Yeah, the LAPD will test their vehicles too, but they don't help anyone else out with their results. Oh, of course. Not. Michigan just sort of like publishes a big PDF of it. And it's really cool to look at because it's like a bunch of stuff that if you were an automotive journalist, you would never be allowed to uh, write about these days. Like, they do very direct comparison lap times between these different police cars. They do repeated braking exercises. Uh, yeah, and it's all extremely nerdy. And you would never get this out of, like, Motor Trend used to do stuff like this. They used to do some really practical testing that was repeatable and stuff. They don't do it anymore because the uh, the car makers all threaten to stop sending them cars. Yeah, it sounds like this. That sounds about right. It's always, uh, I'm looking at this document right now. And it's like... Well, that's the fucking problem with everything, isn't it? Like, if you're a, a video game fucking blog, you can't be mean to any of the video games because then you stop getting them. Right. Like your 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 job is to be here as a as a propaganda arm for the company you cover. That's it. Right. Yeah. So uh, the it's kind of funny that because they're the police, they can do a real review of these cars because like what are you going to do not offer them the car you're trying to get the contract yeah. and like what they say matters because they're the only people who publish this stuff Got like it. there's no one else testing the police uh interceptor versions of cars for their roadworthiness it's just them they also do motorcycles, which is kind of cool. Yeah, which makes sense. You see a lot of motorcycle cops. 
So I'm scrolling through this, you know, Michigan police evaluation document, and I come across this like the section where they print like this is what the car company has is like offering on this bottle. This is what they're advertising. Yeah. And I'm reading the fucking phrase a greener shade of blue TM, the first ever oh, pursuit yeah. rated hybrid police vehicle. Fuck. <laughs> oh yeah. What a fucking sentence. I hate it. <laughs> yep. Although. Honestly, hybrid police cars, good idea. They idle the cars for forever. Like, they just burn a boatload of fuel to sit still. Yeah, like... Because that's all they do all day. Yeah. They sit around and wait for people to drive past too fast or something. Sure. It's it's more like hybrid police cars sounds like a... It's a more female bosses sort of situation, you know? Right. Yeah, let's let's do a little less environmental impact while we uh disproportionately target poorer and uh more diverse communities yeah. in our uh neighborhoods. Yeah, this is this is how a car company says hashtag girl boss is what I'm saying. Right. And it's always interesting cuz like when we uh when we saw a lot of the recent the recent protests in the wake of uh the George Floyd killing we saw like a bunch of bike manufacturers saw individual videos of their bikes being used as weapons against protesters oh my god and they're like uh no this is not what we sell bikes to the police for we will not be selling bikes to the police anymore good and like Almost all of the brands that m- sell bikes to the police did that. Uh, all of the big ones did. Ford was questioned about whether they'd continue selling police cars uh, beca- in the wake of the NYPD just, like, using a car as a weapon against protesters. Mm-hmm. Like, just a really egregious example. And they're like, oh, we have great relationships with our police. We think it's a really important part of our market. Like, they they were absolutely unwilling to do any sort of pushback oh, on of the course. police using their cars as a weapon. Ah, uh, fucking course. Right. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing. No, No one stepped up and said, oh, yeah, I'm not going to sell cars to the police anymore. But, I don't know, it certainly wasn't a good look for Ford, but, yeah, but it's, it's they also... are the only people who make a sincere effort to sell cars to the police anymore. Yeah, like, like I'm looking at this document, there's, you know, your Dodges and your Chevys and whatnot, but it's mostly Ford. And, like, the Ford Crown Vic is still, like, the police car. I mean, yeah, if you... They have so much older, anymore. older police cars. Yeah. Like no one has them anymore because those things don't last that long. Yeah. But like, and by that long, I mean they stopped making the police version of that car in 2012. I think hmm. that's longer than I think. So that's a lot of years as a police car. Yeah, like given that, like that's what they were driving in the Blues Brothers. Right. No, the Blues Brothers was a uh, Oldsmobile, wasn't well, it? Well, in the, in the movie, it's very uh, 
Elwood makes a big deal that he's picked the car. He traded in their car for the this police car that they are now driving. That he right. got at auction for us for cheap. He's got cop tires, cop suspension. That's not what he sounds like, but that's what he says. Yeah, yeah, that was. It was actually a '74 Dodge Monaco. Huh. Yeah, but the Crown Vic, as you've seen it recently came out in like 1991 mm. and stayed the same until 2012 when they stopped selling it as a police car yeah it makes sense oh okay the third blues mobile was a 1990 crown vic haha <laughs> which was the generation before the one that got curves but that yeah was before they so... made cars sexy Right. It's just yeah, before car they learned fuck. how to make the cars fuckable. Yeah. And nowadays we have dragons fucking cars, so you can see how it worked out. Right. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, we... I, uh... I don't really know where to go from here. Well, uh, I'm looking we've at now this... talked about the marketability of police cars to uh police i'm i'm still looking at this document they uh one of the tables in it is like okay we have four different drivers drive five laps in each of these cars yeah which and uh i'm looking at it, i'm trying to figure out who the, who the best driver out of the four is or at least who the fastest driver out of the four is which is difficult because they shuffle the names in each one Right. But I think it's Agama. Agema? Okay. Who seems to pretty consistently have, like, the lowest or pretty close to the lowest time. Well, no. They're doing worse than some of these. Anyways, if you're out there, <laughs> Agama, first name unknown, you're, <laughs> you're a, a competent race car driver and you should stop being a cop. Right. Knock it off. <laughs> Consider a, ca a career in racing. If any, if anyone out there, if any cops are listening to this podcast, knock it off. Fuck you. This isn't for you. Right. Yeah, unless you quit. Yeah. If you quit, uh, maybe you're all right with us. Yeah. Quit now. Tell the And if you write to our podcast yeah. about how you quit, we'll have you on the show. Yeah, shoot us an email at uh, warehouse69 at tuta.io. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you quit your job as a cop because of us. We really would. That would rule. Really, if you did anything because of our podcast, that would just make my day. Anything right. good. Well, any last remarks? I think that's all I've got this week. Yeah, same. Truly, it was a Warehouse 13. You at home, and I guess you too, Timmy, follow your dreams, believe in yourself, and I feel like I should say a third thing. Good night. <laughs> Sense. And uh, what's the point of the fast progress?
Podcast.